Hello, hello, you found us once again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. Today we're going to take a deep dive into the Supreme Court and what's going on with them and their shadow dockets, etc., etc. I've been culturally both immersed and devoid. I went to the Academy Museum, which just opened, the one on Fairfax and Wilshire. And As in the Motion Picture Academy. The Motion Picture Academy, yes. And I saw a terrible series called La Brea. You saw Chestnut Man. I saw the Chestnut Man on Netflix. Got it. The Supreme Court. Snowflakes on the Supreme Court. We have a little snowflakes on the Supreme Court? Well, yeah. Amy Coathanger Barrett and Sam Alito are snowflakes. Because they're so sensitive and thin skin. They're so freaking touchy, yeah. Oh, what are they touchy about? Well, Coathanger Barrett said that we shouldn't perceive them as political hacks. And as you pointed out when we were talking before recording tonight, she said that in the first public speech she's given since becoming a justice at the McConnell Center in Lexington, Kentucky, of the man who put her in place. And she's saying, don't call me a political hack. They're irony deficient, those people. What is up with them? And then Alito, he's upset that people are referring to the shadow docket process as the shadow docket process. I need to back up here just to describe what the shadow docket is. A shadow docket is something that's adjudicated by the Supreme Court. It's done in secret. They don't have to reveal what judges voted for which... Which way they went. Which way they went. It's Um, when someone asks for emergency relief. Which can be anything, really. And has been anything. The governor of Texas can can petition for emergency relief. It's under the cover of night is the way it feels like. Well, yeah, I think the decision in the Texas case, I think it was released late at night. It was 1201. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's what makes Alito all the more disgusting is that he's like, oh, don't call it the shadow docket. That sounds like we're doing something in the dark. Well, you are. He is. He says it makes it sound like it's something sinister and done behind closed doors. Which it is. It totally is. It totally is. I read a statistic that there have been seven shadow docket cases that were adjudicated since November of 2020, whereas there were only four from the time that Justice Roberts joined the court in 2005 until that time. Apparently, the Trump administration started doing them, uh, asking for emergency relief, I guess, is part of the process. But Alito, I've never liked him since Obama was giving a State of the Union and stated very clearly that the court had ruled in favor of corporations with Citizens Citizens United. United. And Alito mouths and shakes his head, not true. Yes, You know, like he threw a little hissy fit. Oh, he's awful. Um, So petty and juvenile. Yeah, so he gave his speech at Notre Dame University. Oh, I didn't hear about that. He gave a speech that was just like Amy Coathanger Barrett's, and he said you shouldn't refer to it as the shadow docket, and he says the Democrats are using that term to make us sound like we're doing something sinister. But the article that you and I both read shows that the term shadow docket was coined by a clerk who was working for John Roberts about five years ago. So it's not a Democratic plot. And even if it were a Democratic plot, it's a true term. And then he said, and people are trying to intimidate us in the press by talking about our decision process in derogatory terms. They're trying to intimidate us. And I thought, you bastard, you just voted to intimidate millions of women, millions of women in Texas. And you're worried about your fragile little ego ego. because people have an opinion about the shit that you're pulling. Makes me so mad. 
there's a shift that happened once the Supreme Court handed the vote to Bush. Yes, I agree. It's like a door slam yes. and something new started. And even Sandra Day O'Connor said she regretted her decision mm. and she was the swing vote. Oh, right. She was the one who really was the one who closed that door. Right. And she said that she thought he would be a better president than he was. And yeah. thank you very much, Sandra Day O'Connor. It's definitely swung right since then. Yeah. One of the things that's happened is they felt their power since then mm -hmm. because they handed a presidency to their own candidate. Right. Something about that, the tumblers, yes. I think what we fail to see, it's the same thing that's behind climate, is there is dark money, corporate money doing this stuff. It's not just right-wing politicians. It's not even just voters who tend to elect right-wing politicians. I think it's something more nefarious. I think it's a real conscious and more and more successful attempt to co-opt the entire judicial branch to rubber stamp corporate agendas. Now, do you have any background? Sheldon Whitehouse has it. He's oh. been speaking about it okay. in the Senate. About Brett Kavanaugh. Y yeah. But does he think that that's true of other people? people as well? He thinks that there is, he calls it the House of Coke, of the Coke brothers. And then there's also the House of Federal Society or something, but that they're working together. And it's not just about nudging the country to the right. He didn't say this outright, but I would imagine he would agree with it. It's not even so much about the hot button issues about abortion or guns. It's more about corporate control of the country so that voters do not have a voice. So that we can have an illusion of a democracy, but the, the levers are all being pulled. Do you know, I've called us a corporatocracy for yeah. years. And I think that that's simply the case, especially since Citizens United. I agree. I think what I'm waking up to is it's not just happening coincidentally. Oh, yeah. Or just because corporations tend to be powerful. I think it's happening with much more focused intention than I ever would have thought. You know, As Sheldon Whitehouse yeah. ties the strings, huh. he ties the, the strands together about how um, there was supposed to be a background check on Kavanaugh, and it was not done. The FBI said they were going to do it. They said they were doing it, but it was not done. And we learned subsequently that there were 4,500 tips. Um, called in tips, yeah. I'm sure a lot of them were probably pranks. But there were probably a lot of very valid ones. Yeah. But instead of investigating them, the FBI made an agreement with the White House that the FBI would funnel all of those to the White House so that they could process them. They had no interest in processing them because they were part of the plot by the House of Coke to get this guy on the court come hell or high water. And so the idea is that the Koch brothers focused on Brett Kavanaugh because he was incoming as opposed to trying to influence the other justices because they were already on the court. They wanted a guy that was in their pocket wow. to put on the court. And that's why the hearing went the way it went. Blase Ford came forward and her testimony was so credible. Absolutely. They couldn't refute it. And White House says with any other judicial nominee, they would have just said, hey, this isn't going to yeah. fly. Thanks, but no thanks. We'll get, some, we'll get the next person on the list. Yeah. Who will be equally right-wing. But say the thing about the fact that he wasn't on the Federalist he list. He was not on Trump's list. Trump circulated that big long list of Federalist Society approved right-wing judges. 
Kavanaugh wasn't on it. But what White House describes is how Kavanaugh went on a personal audition mission. He started going to all these Federalist Society events and glad-handing these people and working his way into the... Huh. And he was probably already socially connected to most of them anyway. Well, he'd done the Ken Starr report. Yeah, he did a whole campaign. In a way, it's awful to hear what happened, but White House gives you a little bit of hope because he's really looking into it along with Chris Coons from Connecticut, I think. Delaware. Where's Sheldon Whitehouse from? I'm not... I think he's Rhode Island. Okay. He's also really cute. I really (laughs) like him. He's good. He's so forceful and he's so on the money about it and... I don't know. I hope it might lead to something. I'll have to check that out. If you really wanted to find it, you go Sheldon Whitehouse, Brett Kavanaugh. Good. Good. I like that. Okay. I went to the women's... Oh, the march. March. I meant to ask you about that. It was tiny. Maybe there were 5,000 people in downtown LA. There were several different ones around town though, right? I don't know. Jody Hamilton. So there was one in the, there was Burbank and there was downtown. Oh, really? Maybe. She made it sound like they were all over town. It was put on by the women who did the Women's March, the Mm. first one that was 2017. I was at that one Mm -hmm. and that was 750,000 people. Oh, wow. 750,000? It was the largest march on that day of any place in That's the country. really big. It was huge. I mean, you mean you could, around the country there were that many? No, in, in downtown LA? Los Angeles. Not 75,000? No, 750,000. 750, yes. <gasps> it am, was astounding. Am, the wind has been knocked out of wow. There were so many people that you literally could not move yeah. for hours. Holy smokes. It was amazing. I mean, the energy that was there, it was like everybody was dressed in pink with pussy hats and oh, yeah, you know, posters. Right. Yes. And it was great. And this was a lot of older women, a lot of younger women, but a lot of older women who remember what it was like before there was the ability to have an on-demand abortion. And I would say that the organizers were more radical than the people who were normally at the Women's March, but it was just disappointing. Mm -hmm. I was glad that I was there. I was glad that I lifted my voice. Both Catherine and Zoe had not heard about it until I mentioned it to them in the middle of the week and their father was visiting, so they weren't going to be able to go. I did a little video of the the Uh. march and I sent it to them while we were marching. I said, marching for your rights. (laughs) It was like, Thanks, Mom. Well, I saw pictures of Washington. They said they had 7,000 people. That's yeah. That's pretty good. Compared with 750,000 people, yeah, yeah. it's a little small. I There's mean, only 200 came to the last Trump Oh, rally. yes, that's true. That's true. That makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. There were only, there were less than 200. And a lot of those people were... Were press. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel better now. I also went to the Motion Picture Academy Museum on Fairfax and Wilshire. It's interesting because the museum is very beautiful. Obviously, it's right next to LACMA. Right. So you walk down Wilshire. There are the urban lights. Then there's the Academy Museum. You walk around the corner because the entrance is actually on Fairfax. It's not on Wilshire, which I was expecting it to be on Wilshire, but it was on Fairfax. And across from Fairfax is, you know, Johnny's. Oh, right. Oh, right. Like some bombed out buildings that have just been closed down forever. So it's amazing to see this gorgeous Renzo Piano, architecturally astounding work. Surrounded by urban blight. Yes, exactly my thought. What I didn't appreciate about this museum was that it is about the Academy Awards. Oh, okay. I really thought it was going to be about a history of film, film, but it was really about the Academy Awards. Yes, which is rather limiting. Right. I was very happy that the space had been rehabilitated into this beautiful museum, but it was strange 
it just seemed like a very niche kind of thing for such a large space. Since that building was the May Company, was it part of the LA County Art Museum in between? It was. I think it was several things. Okay. Before the teardown and re, not refurbishment, what's it called? Renovation. Renovation of LACMA, the Academy acquired it and decided to preserve yeah. it. Yeah. Well, that's great because it yeah. is a landmark building. Oh, it is. And it's really stunning. Mm-hmm. There's a space that is for Spike Lee and his films and his Academy Award, but it didn't feel deep enough. Right. As we talk about it, I'm thinking maybe it's problematic in a way because the Oscars are really a marketing tool. That's kind of what they are. In the guise of a beauty contest. uh, Yeah, and a beauty contest in the guise of some kind of artistic merit. True. And sometimes the films that win do have artistic merit, but not all the time. And even when they do, the purpose of getting the Oscar is really to market the film. Yes. So maybe that makes it hard to create exhibits that have depth or interest. Although I imagine they could do something really interesting on race and the Oscars they if they did. wanted to. They did do something that was interesting and they had a room with, was it costumes? I think it was costumes that had been worn to the Oscars, oh, wow. which was interesting. And they had squares of people accepting their Oscars. Mm-hmm. Sidney Poitier and mm-hmm. Shawnee Littlefeather, who accepted for Marlon Brando oh, at yeah. one time. Yeah. Hattie McDaniel, Rita Marino. So they did do that. Well, it still sounds like it'd be fun to see it. If you were a tourist in LA and doing things, it sounds like it'd be a fun oh, thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It has that patina of uh-huh. bring me your, your right. masses and have them come and eat at Fanny's. Right. It's a lovely space and it feels kind of empty. So oh. I think that they'll be working on getting exhibits in there. Right. Oh, that sounds so fun. I was glad I went. I'm a charter member. Oh, really? I am. I've never been a charter member of a museum before, of of anything at all. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm the founder of Reluctant Homosexuals. Oh, okay. And we'll make a note of that. So you were going to talk about Chestnut Man? Oh, yeah. There's a new Nordic Noir on Netflix. This is so rare for it to come out contemporaneously here as in Denmark. Usually I have to hunt them down and by the time I'm able to find them, and then find a streaming service that I can play them on. It's usually years after they debuted. But this one is current. The guy's name, I had to write it down because it's hard to say. The writer-creator is named Soren Spijstrup. And he, I believe, is Danish. The show is definitely Danish. And so was the last series of his that I watched, which is The Killing. Okay. The original Killing. The original Killing. That the American one was made from. So far, so good. It's fun. If you watch enough of these things, you start to get a little bit of a feel of the different Scandinavian countries. They have their own Uh little different idiosyncrasies. And the one for this is, and it was in his other one too, he really likes to work in brutal crime and politics. It's very much a dovetailing of political scheming, but also the scheming necessary on the police's part to solve these horrible crimes. And there's always a tie-in. So in this one, and it's episode one, it's not really a spoiler, there's a woman, she's the Minister of Social Affairs for the Danish government, and she's been away for a year because her daughter, they believe, was murdered. And, And then, oh, it's just full of great psychological subplots. And it sounds great. Yeah, I just love it. And we have to talk about the little chestnut men. The chestnut men. men. <laughs> yeah. So there's little men that the kids make in Denmark, apparently. They take two chestnuts, a big one and a little one. And the big one is the body, and the little one is the head. And they take matchsticks or twigs, 
and they well, it's like a snowman and they make arms out of them yeah so it's like a tiny little snowman so they call them figurines in the okay. series yeah but it gets interesting because apparently there are no hands on a chestnut man it just has the sticks. sticks that starts to work its way into some of the crime scenes and the way bodies are mutilated. Oh. So it's not as bloody as some of the ones I've watched, <laughs> but you do see a couple of crime scenes that are a little bit sobering. Anyway, it's on Netflix, and I saw two in the subtitle options. I, th- I think you can choose to watch it dubbed in English, and I wouldn't be surprised if the dubbed version has the actual Danish actors speaking English. Oh, really? Everyone in Denmark seems to speak fluent English. I watched a terrible series. Oh, boy. Terrible pilot of a series mm-hmm. called La Brea, which ties into Your the life. Academy Museum. And oh. it was so close to my life. Okay, so there's a family of a mother and her two teenage children who both attend the same high school. The father has been left in San Bernardino because he was having some kind of psychological issues having to do with a plane crash that he was in. So he was acting crazy and the mother decided that she was gonna take the two kids and move to Los Angeles, which is like, unless you have a really good job, you don't move from San Bernardino to Los Angeles. Okay, so the father's left behind. But not that far behind. Right, Anyway, the wooden dialogue is really you could build something from Ikea with this dialogue it is so awful and expository but the great thing about it is that she's driving along and a sinkhole opens up at the tar pits and it's pretty believable you know you wonder what the hell is under those tar pits sinkholes open up in Texas and Louisiana and all over the place so this sinkhole this giant sinkhole opens up and it's amazing because the Peterson Museum just goes right into it which was so gratifying for me because I think it's so fucking ugly oh that museum that prehistoric museum it's the car museum across from the oh across from May Company Yes. The car museum yes. on the corner? You like that one. I kind of do. Okay. I think I'm I in the minority. I just don't care for it. I just, okay. You know what it is? It's the color. If oh. It wasn't bright red, oh, but it okay. sticks out in such a way that it's yeah. just jarring to me. Okay. Lots of things go into the sinkhole, including, I'm sure, my own apartment where I live. The mother falls into the sinkhole, and the son falls into the sinkhole, and it turns out they're sort of in a lost situation because they're in opposite worlds. Okay. Did you watch Lost? I've heard the great things, but I've never, watched, never yeah. watched it. Anyway, it's kind of atrocious, and the acting is really, really mediocre. But it was just great to see so many things that were so close to me. Falling into a Falling into a sinkhole, <laughs> into oblivion. I mean, if you saw something that was called Coldwater Canyon, you would watch oh, it. Oh, definitely. I haven't even watched this La Brea. It's close enough for me that I would be interested. But that's the opening. That's how it starts. Yes. So, so this big cataclysm happens. And then it's about people trying to deal with it. It sounds like an earthquake movie or something. It kind of is like an earthquake movie. They don't do this on TV very much. This has a metaphysical aspect to it Ah. because the people who fell into the sinkhole are sort of scattered around this alternate universe, which looks like Earth. Oh, interesting. See, I think the pitch session must have been La Brea Tar Pits. What if it happened again? And we were the dinosaurs. Oh, what an interesting idea. Yeah. So much more interesting than the execution of this thing. <laughs> there are actually pterodactyls and things that come, oh, yeah. come out in this other world. And the husband is trying to help with the process because he's having visions of things that happened. And he's been having these visions all along. And that his family thinks he's crazy. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, goes to some kind of higher up in this 
process of trying to figure out what happened to the people who fell into the sinkhole and he's treated as a lunatic, which of of course, he's treated as a lunatic oh. because then he has to go out on his own right. and try to solve it by himself. Right. I can't recommend it unless you enjoy seeing the Peterson Museum in, <laughs> broken up into little bitty pieces. That's funny. <laughs> now, it is time for us to say bye-bye. Now it's time to say goodnight. Goodbye, boomers. Stay dry. Yes, stay very dry, and we will be in your ears again in a week. So long. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.